And now we are actually going to read Acts 20. So Kate is going to come up and read for us. Thanks, Kate. I'm Kate, second year mathematics and computer science student, and I'm reading Acts 20, verse 13 to 38. You can find it in this handout that you would have been given. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when we met, and when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Midlene, and sailed there, and sailed from there. We came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos. And the end of the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend more time, spend time in Asia. He was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders to the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you for the whole time, the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all the humility and tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of Jews. How did I not shrink from, the, from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you are among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care from the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away from the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourself know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all the things I have shown you that, that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, and being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. I'll see you guys here this afternoon. I wonder if you've ever given a thought to your last words. If you get a chance to... Uh, Think about them. 
before you die if you don't get a chance. Uh, if you don't think about it, obviously you're not going to get a chance to, but have you thought what your last words might be? Have you thought about other people's last words that you know? They're intriguing last words. It's the thought that everything this person's life is all about comes down to these words, the things that they value, the things that they have loved, things that they put their energy and time into. Some people pre-prepare their last words and they make them clever and funny, like Groucho Marx, who you've probably never seen because he's been dead for some time, is well known for saying, die, that's the last thing I'll ever do. <laughs> not sure how long you worked on that. <laughs> or it might be that you don't actually get a moment to think about it. You don't get to prepare it. In the moment, it's got to come from the heart. It's got to be what you value. That's a little bit like this guy. Well, boys, do your best for the women and children and look out for yourselves. Anyone know who that is? Anyone will have a guess at who that is? The captain of the Titanic. It's the captain of the Titanic. Yeah. Captain Edward Smith of the Titanic. Probably not pre-prepared words, but at the time, they showed what he valued in life. The duty of a captain to look after those souls he has charge of. Especially those who are the vulnerable. Women and children. He says to his crew, look after them and look after yourselves. Is his last words as he went back to the bridge on that fateful night. In Acts 20, we have the words of Paul. Not his final words, but his final words to the Ephesian elders, the leaders from the church in Ephesus. He'd spent three years in Ephesus teaching and we have to jump over those chapters. You can go back and read them for the last couple of chapters in, in Acts 18-19. He taught people in the synagogue, and after he'd been thrown out of the synagogue, he lectured in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. It was the longest recorded stay of Paul anywhere uh, in Acts. Now, Paul knew that he was going to go to Jerusalem. That's where he was headed for. And you'll see the map coming up. But he's been up in Asia, and he's <laughs> on his way back on this dotted line back to Jerusalem. He would like to go to Ephesus, but he can't. And so he goes to Miletus on the way back and sends for the Ephesian elders to speak to them for the last time. That's what he records will be his last, he thinks will be his last time to actually meet them before he loses his life. There are three things that he wants to draw their attention to. Firstly, he wants them to understand the pattern of his life. And he wants them to recall two things about the pattern of his life. The firstly, uh, the two things are humble service and unhindered teaching. That's the pattern of Paul's life. Humble service and unhindered teaching. So in verse 18, he says, 
You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Firstly, humble service. That's what he wants them to be aware of. Now, listing humility amongst your qualities uh, sounds like a self-defeating exercise, doesn't it? I'd like you to know that I'm humbled. Well, Paul goes further than that. He wants to remind them that they know he is humble. (laughs) Sounds incredible, doesn't it? That's often because we equate humility with someone not really talking about themselves very much. Mind you, you can be someone who doesn't talk about yourself or talk much and be very arrogant. Just be quiet about it. One modern dictionary definition of humility is having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's importance. That's the Oxford Online Dictionary. Having a modest or low estimate of one's importance. Which sounds good until you consider Jesus himself, who calls himself humble, but also recognises and volunteers that he is the judge of all the world that God has appointed. Hardly a low estimate of your own importance for someone who is humble. Rather, humility has to do with where you place your needs in relation to others and in relation to the needs of others. It's thinking of other people's burdens and needs instead of your own burdens and needs. And it's what Paul did. Throughout this chapter, I think Paul's... There's a a word that's governing all that's happening. And you don't get to it until the end, until verse 35. And I think... um, I've been wrestling with this chapter. I think this is behind what most of Paul is saying in this chapter. Verse 35, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's the only place in the Bible where it's recorded that Jesus said this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You are better off in life, more blessed, happier, if you give yourself in service to others than if you are on the receiving end of service. Now, some of you will will nod internally and go, yes, that is true. All of us will struggle to actually admit that that is true, and that we live that way. Are we really better off in life, in the long run, perhaps even in the short run, if you give yourself in service to the needs of others rather than your own? That's Paul's contention. That's what he said he has done. And he did it through tears and trials. Do you know people who are like that, who give themselves in humble service of others, foregoing their own comforts, their own needs. There's one man who I know well, but haven't seen him for a very, very long time. He's my godfather. Uh, He was a man who I grew up with, at church with. He was a much older man, even by the time I was quite young. And he was a humble servant who also used to teach the word at our church, but he was a warden, one of the people who helped the church run. 
so humble was he that he put aside his own needs, his own interests for the sake of others. It's an interesting situation in which I don't have time to recount in full in the life of our church. There are a couple of churches that were in our group of churches called parish. And two of those churches did not get on very well with each other uh, for all sorts of reasons uh, of interest. Uh, but one church had lots of resources. People who, would, who had time and capability to do things. The other church was a growing church but had very few resources and capability. Uh, very few people who owned mowers to be able to come and mow the church lawns, which was a need in case you didn't know that people actually need to mow their lawns. For a time, people wondered over at this church who was actually mowing the lawn. Because nobody there was on a roster to mow it. When people would think about it, they'd go and turn up having found a mower and realise it had already been done. For years it went on, and little dealer realised that it was this man, my godfather, who had put aside all of the tensions that were there between the two churches, all of the history, without telling anybody, would turn up in the middle of the week and mow the lawns and quietly go away and never tell anyone. Now that is humble service. To put aside your own interests for the interests of people that well, that you don't really even have much to do with, but nonetheless care for Humble service. Now, the second part of Paul's pattern of what he values is unhindered teaching. Well, verse 20, what's he say there? He says, open my page. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Paul didn't shrink. <laughs> he didn't shrink from teaching anything that was profitable, which suggests that he probably felt like he should shrink. That is, to actually stay back from, step back from actually saying something that might be difficult. The profitable things are probably some of the things that were the hardest things to say. Paul, in humility, didn't shrink back from saying the difficult things. It's interesting that we don't think of humility in that regard. We think it's humble to not say anything that's going to be difficult. Paul says, in his humble service, he didn't shrink back from saying anything that might be profitable for them, whether it was something that might be awkward, unpleasant, or difficult to hear. He taught them. And the content of his teaching, publicly, was from house to house, verse 21, testifying to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse, back in verse 20, he says he was teaching them in public and from house to house, the repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. To believers and unbelievers alike, wherever he may go, in the streets or knocking on doors, house to house, whatever it might be, all saying the same thing, same message. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Catch up with Paul and say, what have you been talking about today, Paul? 
repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You were doing that yesterday. Yes, I was doing that yesterday. And I'm planning on doing that tomorrow. That's the sum of his message. In humble service, unhindered teaching of God's word. And he's saying these things because he actually wants the Ephesian elders to hold on to those things as well and value those things as well. And they're profitable for us to value and hold on to as well. To make it our aim to teach. To not sway from teaching repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. To everyone. To each other. As well as to those who aren't Christians. I've received criticism over the years and probably a little bit again recently that here at the Uni Bible Group is that all we do is talk about the gospel and talk about talking about the gospel with people. And when I hear that, I think, fantastic. <laughs> I think we could do a lot better at it and being a lot clearer. I think there's a long way to go. But if we're going to be criticised for anything, that's a thing, great thing to be criticised for. I'm more than happy for that criticism. 1 Corinthians 2. To Paul says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the thing that he wants to be known for. That's the thing we should be known for. Mind you, if all we're doing is gathering together for lunchtime and reciting two ways to live and going, going home, we could do better than that. You could do a lot worse than that too, mind you. But let us not move away from the message of Christ. People think that we should have the gospel as well as doing other things. And that's their fine things to do. To, to help those who are struggling, to help those who are weak, to help the outcast, to help. How do you help people? You help people by proclaiming repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. How do you help the weak? with the gospel. Not just saying two ways to live at them and then walking away. But people who are weak because they are troubled about where they're going in life. What better thing to console them with and encourage them with than the Lord Jesus who has their life in his hand and their life mapped out and to point them to trust in him to put aside the worries of this world and not be consumed by them, but to persevere through them. For those who are troubled in mind, what better thing than to point them to the Lord Jesus, who is Lord over their mind and has a better understanding of them and their emotional state than what they do, and to work at putting their trust in Him. For those who struggle at uni, uh, yeah, sorry, but they said, well, if uni in relationships and they don't socialise very well, what better thing to do than to point them to the God who understands them better than anyone else understands them or even themselves? We help all by giving ourselves to others and teaching them to look to Christ. That'll sustain them for a lifetime. And that's what Paul wants the Ephesian elders to be thinking about doing 
in Ephesus for a lifetime. Now perhaps we can see a bit more clearly why Paul has sent for the Ephesian elders to come all the way from Ephesus down to Miletus, just because he doesn't want to go up there. Maybe he wants them to come down while he drops in. Being the leaders, they will set the pattern of life for everyone else. And this is his last chance because he's not going to see them again. Well, having pointed out his pattern of life, he moves to the value of his life. Point three on your outline. Verse 22. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. Just as a side, the Spirit, there does not free him to do anything. The Spirit actually constrains him. Anyway, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count, I count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Nothing is more blasphemous to our world than some of these words. Uh, we don't have blasphemy anymore, do we? Um, yes, we do. It's, these, it's to say, in an individualistic society, where the individual is supreme, there's nothing worse that can be said. No greater sin than to say, I am of no value. I count my life as of no value. That is the worst thing to either say or counsel someone else to say. And yet that is at the heart of what Paul is saying. I, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Not because he's a woe is me sort of character, and he's down on himself, and he's depressed. No, there's something else that he has in place. He values the job that Jesus has given him to do to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what he's been given to do. And that's what he wants to complete, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God through to the end. And you may think, well, he doesn't have it very easy then, does he? But how freeing is it to actually be given a job and a task to do? How freeing is it to not actually have to work out what I have to do in life? That thing we have to, oh, what am I going to do with my life? Where's my, where's my life supposed to go? What am I? It's the great burden of the individualistic society. The great burden that's put on us to have the freedom to do whatever we want in life and therefore make ourselves something in life. It's a great slavery if we own it with both hands. I am the master of my life. Oh my goodness, I'm responsible for every failure that ever happens around me. Paul is given a task. How freeing is that? To give his whole life to serving the Master and testifying to the grace of God. And I encourage you that you may not be like Paul with exactly the same call, but it is freeing to serve the Master who owns your life anyway to go wherever, for whatever, and count your life as nothing in comparison to testifying to the grace, the gospel of the grace of God and getting behind what God is doing in the world with the proclamation of the gospel. Thirdly, 
Paul wants them to understand about the church and its future. The value of God's church. Firstly, the value of the church in our day is zero. Well, that could be not quite zero. If you own land, it's probably valuable in terms of land and real estate. That is what people would think about church. And value is it's got some great real estate. Outside of that, nothing. And diminished more in their eyes, if that's possible, in the eyes of men. Verse 28. God bought the church. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. See the value of the church? God bought it with his own blood. It doesn't look very attractive. It's not a beautiful organisation. It is not attractive, fun, popular, a place to everyone wants to hang out at. Sometimes it is. Usually it's not. But for God, he values it supremely because he bought it at the cost of his own blood in the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified. And so God has great interest in keeping his church, serving him, keeping his church from error, keeping his church following the Lord Jesus. And so... Paul points to the Ephesian elders to the responsibility that they have that the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. The Holy Spirit has appointed leaders for his church. Indeed, I think the Holy Spirit appoints leaders for all churches of God's people. Not just ones here in Acts 20. If you have the responsibility of leading and teaching people, that is something that God has bestowed on uh, on you, on those around you. And it is a job that is valuable to the Lord because his church is so valuable. But it comes, because it is of great value, it comes with a risk of loss. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Be aware. Be aware of the tragedy of fierce wolves coming in and stealing away people. Paul says savage wolves will come in. And the tragedy is heightened when they realise that some of these actually come from within their own, within some who have gathered there with Paul on the beach in Ephesus, uh, in Miletus. Some will arise from among yourselves. We often think of the false teachers as coming from places like the Jehovah's Witness movement or the Mormon church. Well, they are, but they're far too obvious things. Paul says you need to be alert even from among your own. Because the temptation will be to distort the truth and taking away people from the truth. 
You often see it when people start their own groups or own churches and they split away. Classic sign to look for what is actually being taught. It's usually because there's an error somewhere. Be aware of that. Paul says you need to be alert. Care begins with them being alert to the dangers. Nobody likes being told that they, they might fail. Be aware, be aware, you might fail. That can be a loving thing to say. That I remember my first year orientation lecture for first year physics last millennium. Sitting there in the first year orientation lecture, the MC invited the head of physics to the lectern for his words of wisdom. What did he say to the whole cohort of first-year physics from all around the university that gathered for his orientation lecture? He said, look at the person next to you. They won't be here at the end of the year. Make sure it's not you. <laughs> and then sat down. <laughs> and we all looked around at each other. <laughs> to you. <laughs> I don't remember what the person looked like next to me and I don't know if I made it through I made it through and not what we wanted to hear from him no great words of encouragement but we knew that the pressure was on and not to be that person who failed savage wolves will come in make sure that it's not you make sure that you care for the church of God and guard, guard. How can we be confident in guarding? Well, Paul hands them over to the Lord. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He commends them, their security, to an inheritance. Uh, the, the word of grace from God is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance, uh, uh, unable to be taken away inheritance among all who are sanctified. How is it? By holding on to the word of grace. Because that is how God is holding on to you. That is how God is holding on to his people. So therefore hold on to the word of grace. And so Paul commends them to it. I think I've worked out that Christianity is not like playing soccer or indeed most sports, in fact. All sports people get to the point in their sporting life where they have to give up, where they have to get old and frail and you can't recover any longer from the knocks, your knees give up. And whenever you're a sportsman and you get to the point of saying, I remember when I used to, then you know you're no longer a sportsman. If you ever find yourself saying, I remember when I used to be a Christian, know that you've actually failed and you've walked away. How do you stay? You hold on to the word of grace as God holds on to you. What will your last words be? Will they be words that show that you're holding on to the word of grace. I was intrigued about my godfather. Um, we sort of parted company um, about 30 years ago. 
started about 25 years ago. Very strangely, last October, uh, I woke up one morning. I woke up thinking of him. And I thought, I wonder where, and I had thought of him over the years, but this particular morning, I thought, I wonder where he is these days. He would be very old, and he had moved away up the north coast. And I googled his name, John Turner. If you know anything about names like that, they're very, very common. <laughs> a man who would be about 95 years old, would he be on the internet? I googled his name. The first thing that came up was a was a entry from a church pew newsletter that he had posted online that he had died a few days beforehand with his picture. That's him, John Turner. And what did it say? A man of great humility and faith. He was an inspiration to all who knew him. 95 years old. I don't know why. I was prompted to look him up at that particular time. But that's the sort of thing that I want to aspire to. He's a man of great humility, not known beyond his family and a few, but an inspiration to all who knew him to hold on to the Lord Jesus and his gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Paul and for men like John Turner that you have used Paul to bring the gospel to the nations and you've used men like John Turner to maintain the proclamation of Christ. Lord, we pray that we might not value our own lives but value knowing you and making you known. We pray that we might value your people and your church with which you have bought you have bought with the blood of Christ. And Father, to hold on to that until the last day, that our last words may come from holding on to the gospel of grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a few minutes. Uh, we're going to pray in a moment. And I think that's going to come up and talk to us. And he's right as well. So my name is Ryan, I'm going to pray for us in a second, but I'm going to do something different. Um, so Matt, you were not at university last week. I was not at the university last week. Um, I was actually in Vanuatu at a conference called Spark, South Pacific Regional Conference. Uh, tell us a bit about Spark. Uh, yeah, so Spark was um, lots of different uh, student movements from um, across the South Pacific, similar to NTE in the lots of student movements, but these were different national movements all gathering together in Vanuatu uh, just for a few days. Um, yeah, we uh, got to hear talks from Romans about grace, uh, and we got to add a fellowship with one another, get to know each other and each other's student movements, um, get to know how we can be praying for each other, and get to see how God has been working um, in different student movements, um, what their needs are, how we can be praying for them. Yeah, that's really cool. Were there any particular highlights from that, that week? Mm, um, many, um, but just one I'll share with you right now. Um, one, actually, that touches on the power of prayer. Um, and God's faithfulness in it. Um, there was this guy, uh, Richie, um, and he's from the Solomon Islands. Five years ago, he was studying in Vanuatu and came to a previous spark as from the, the Vanuatu delegation, I guess. Uh, and 
he, uh, at the end of that conference, they uh, prayed for um, all the different student movements across the South Pacific. And they didn't pray for the Solomon Islands because Solomon Islands didn't have a student ministry. Um, and Richie describes it as being filled with a holy jealousy. Um, it's like, why doesn't my country have a student movement? And so he got the leaders together and they all prayed uh, specifically that God might raise up a student movement in the Solomon Islands. Um, five years later, um, at the, this spark that I went to, um, Richie was there um, with his delegation of 20 also from the Solomon Islands, um, sent from the group that is now about 100 strong in the Solomon Islands. Um, yeah, five years after that, uh, that their prayer, um, and had been the first two years had been a content, like basically just prayer and fasting that God would raise that up, um, and that was just something that was amazing to see. Um, to see, yeah, Solomon Island students coming from their own university um, where the word of God is being now proclaimed. That's so awesome. That's really great to hear. Thank you very much, Matt. I'm going to pray for some of those brother and sister groups um, from around the South Pacific. Uh, so we join me in prayer is just uh, speaking to God. It's an incredible privilege that we have as Christians because, uh, as Rob said, it's the faith we have in Christ and, and his death that he bought us, the church, for himself. Uh, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for the great opportunity it is that we can come here today we can open up the Bible, your word that you have given to us, and that we can read it for ourselves and hear it explained. We thank you, Father, for the great, uh, how, just, how awesome it is that there are so many groups like us around Australia that we can join with and go to the national training event together and learn from your word more and more, learn how to read it for ourselves. And we thank you, Lord, there are groups like ours all around the world. Father, we just pray, uh, we give you great praise uh, for the Spark Conference. The opportunity that uh, Matt and Jeanette and Richard and, uh, had to join together with, with brothers and sisters um, from around the South Pacific, from all different uh, Christian groups and university groups, uh, and to, to learn more from your word, and to encourage and, and train and be trained alongside uh, those other Christian students and, and um, staff workers. Father, we particularly pray uh, for the Fijian group, we just praise you so much uh, for the group and for their central focus on your word. Father, we thank you so much for the excitement that the students have had uh, learning to read it for themselves. We pray, Father, for finances uh, and staffing. We really pray that through that, that you would raise up good and godly leaders for them uh, that would enable them to grow in Christ and, and enable more students to come to know you and to be able to read the Bible for themselves. And we pray that many of them will be able to come to NTE. Father, we pray for the Solomon Islands. We praise you so much, Lord, that you answer prayer. We thank you for this answer, that, that after five years, they have a group. And not only do they have a group, Lord, they have a group of over 100 students. How incredible that is, Lord, that they can gather together, that they can meet with one another just like we do. And Father, we pray that they will be firmly established in the Bible. We pray that you would continue uh, to raise leaders up within that group and continue to bring people along. Uh, and you would make them eager to speak the gospel to the people around them. Father, we pray again for the finances. We pray that you would raise up staff and resources that would enable that group to grow in Christ. Enable those students to reach maturity in you. And we pray that we be able to come along to NTE. We would be able to support them and encourage them and learn and grow with them. And Lord God, we pray uh, for the group in Papua New Guinea. 
We just praise you so much for that group, that despite being in such a dangerous location, a dangerous country, we thank you, Father, they, they are enduring and they, they rejoice in the gospel. We pray, Father, for unity in their governance and leadership within the group. And Father, we pray that you would raise up finances and, and staff to enable them to grow in Christ. I pray they'd be able to come to end tears. We thank you, Father, for uh, the awesome news of the gospel, to hear about Paul's humility and leadership and unhindered proclamation of the gospel. We pray that we would hear that ourselves and go and do likewise and we would hold on to the word of grace as you, in your, your good love to us, hold on to us. And we pray this, Father, in your Son's name. Amen. Sorry, just one thing as well. Um, yeah, while we were over in Vanuatu, um, something that was quite clear was that, um, yeah, here in Australia, we're actually, uh, especially in Wollongong, we actually have so much available to us. Um, and yeah, Jeanette mentioned something about uh, coming to NTE, they pay an arm and a leg, like they're really desperate for training. Um, and yeah, I just really encourage you to uh, take up the training opportunities that we have around us. So go to team, go to a faculty group. Um, yeah, use these. Um, like abundant opportunities that we have uh, to be trained. Um, yeah, and lots, yeah, pray for those who don't have those opportunities that they might still, uh, yeah, learn, uh, learn about Jesus and his gospel.